Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Very early on in, in the part of the process when I'm getting to know my clients, we do an exercise called Be Do Have. Right? Be Do Have was something that I learned um, kind of like goal setting. But be do have is essentially who you want to be, where your values, how you want to come off there. You know, there's things that happen to you in life and you have an ability to respond. So making a decision for who it is that you want to be, you know, what are the things that you want to be in process of, those are your due doings and done, right? Those would be the relationships that you may have with your, you know, with your children or what relationship you want to have with your, your money or what, you know, whatever relationship to, to life spirituality, and the other is the have, which are the tangible, so you invest the house, the car, and those things. So oftentimes when we get into scenarios where we're trying to determine whether something is ethical or not ethical or technically legal or technically not legal, going back to who they've described as a B really helps to make that type of decision a much easier decision to make. Because oftentimes, if it's right technically but not right ethically, it's usually counterintuitive to who they said or what they said previously about what their values are as a human being. Happy March, podcast listeners. I am very excited to um, be looking forward to returning to the beautiful Finger Lakes area and the spring coming up here in April will be heading back to explore the region once again. Um, don't forget for all of those that are in various climates, including upstate New York, that just because it's cold doesn't mean that Seneca Lake doesn't have some amazing events going on. They always do. Right now, coming up, they have some uh, wine pairing with different things like pasta and um, they have a whole weekday wine passport in the, in the month of March. So don't forget to, to journey out, get, get out of the cabin, as they say, and explore the area, even though it is a, a bit chilly right now. You'll hear in today's podcast recording with Antonio Martin, he actually suggests some Florida wineries. So of course, I'm going to have to take some time to explore those just a little bit. In today's podcast, you'll hear Antonio's passion for what he does as an attorney and um, how it relates to how he's formed his practice. And uh, I think you're very much going to learn a lot from both his journey and for what he does and his approach in, in dealing with clients. So sit on back, sip your favorite beverage, hopefully it's a great glass of wine, and enjoy the show. You are listening to Wine and Dime, a podcast that combines two passions, wine and personal finance. Hosted by Amy Irvine, certified financial planner and owner of Irvine Wealth Planning Strategies, located in Corning, New York. And now here's your host, Amy Irvine. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dime with Amy Irvine. Today's guest is Antonio Martin. We are going to be talking about law today. I know we all love our attorneys that we get to work with, but I think um, I think you're going to find uh, what Antonio's journey is is unique. His focus in an area of law is unique, and he's just downright a unique guy. So, Antonio, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. I appreciate it. I'm, I've been looking forward to this conversation. Um, only because uh, I've had a few conversations with you in the past and um, just a little bits of information and, and talking about your journey uh, has just intrigued me and how you've come to focus on your preferred area of law 
um, which we'll get into that just a little bit. But um, as you know, you, you have listened to the show. I always love to to talk about the um, the fact that our lives are so similar. Two of the neared, we all kind of start um, differently with the wines that we. Um, we are in the different regions that we can grow in, but ultimately a vineyard is a a fancy name for a farm, right? So we all kind of come back to that core piece of what we are. Um, But we, but we have our favorite parts that we like to, to kind of pull together. So I like to start with a fun question of what is your favorite wine as a traveler that you are and, and why? Excellent. Well, I would say, um, First, as a, as a brief disclaimer, I'm not much of a wine connoisseur. But <laughs> when I do tend to uh, drink wine, I like to drink some of the uh, wines that are here that are local in Florida. There's um, mm-hmm. a winery called Island Grove, and they make a lot of the, uh, the fruit wines, like the blackberry or the peach-infused type wines. Um, one of the ones that I really enjoy from Island Grove is uh, something called Bold Blackberry. Um, which is kind of like a Merlot. It's a little bit drier, but it also has the sweetness of a blackberry, which I really, really enjoy. Interesting. Um, I know there's been, uh, the one that I've been to, well, there's two that I've been here in Florida to, and, and it's it's funny, the uniqueness of a winery over time, but oh, I would say probably 10 or 15 years ago, we went to the winery in St. Augustine. Oh. And at that point in time, they were very fr- um, sweet wine, very sweet wine. But then about a year ago, somebody got us a bottle of, I think it was a Cab Sauvignon or Cab Franc or a blend or something. It was a red from uh, from that same winery. And my husband and I looked at each other and we were like, oh boy. But we were really surprised by the development that that winery has come through and, and how good they are. So a lot of people usually hear me talk about the New York winery. So I thought it would be great to be able to feature, feature a few of the, the Florida wineries for just a little bit of a change up. So that's exciting that, um, that we can talk about some, some nice places, you know, in, in our neck of the woods as we're recording right now. So uh, is your is your uh, family at all a wine drinker either? Um, yes, my my wife drinks wine as well, and she she um, typically she likes the the sweeter type dessert type wine. So either the riesling or um, sometimes uh-huh. even like a sangria or something to that effect. She tends to enjoy uh-huh. those. Yeah, and New York makes a lot of the riesling. So if she's looking for some good recommendations, I'll I'll be happy to pass those along. Oh yeah, so. well she's from Brooklyn, so yeah. So she any chance oh. she has to go to New York, she's definitely up for it. That's right. I forgot you told me that that she was originally from there. That's right. No wonder she likes riesling. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, likewise, there's various stages of our lives, right? There's the beginning, the development, the aging process. And I would really love for you to share some of your you know, journey, um, you know, where you're from, how you decided to go into law, and more recently, how you decided that you know, there's a particular area of law that you really prefer. Because mm-hmm. when people think of lawyers, um, and, and this is something that I've really tried to educate on, people on, but when people think of lawyers, they think, oh, you know, every area of law. And oh my gosh, there's so many areas of law that you could cover. It's challenging to be an expert in everything. Absolutely. Um, so I'd love to hear your, love for you to share your story with the listeners. Okay. Well, I'm, I was uh, originally born in the North Florida area. Uh, my father was um, in the Navy and was stationed on a Navy base um, in Italy, which is where my name comes from, Antonio Giovanni. Um, but I'm not, but I'm not Italian. And uh, in Jacksonville, um, and I think we talked about this a little bit before. Um, I had, I grew up around a lot of my grand, my grandparents, and their siblings. So in my family, we have about eight people uh, over the age of 90 in our family. And uh, I, was, wow. I was lucky enough to do a documentary with them and my father called Trip Down Memoir Lane. And growing up with, uh, with so many elders in my life really helped to give me a sense of uh, perspective because all, anytime I would ask them a question, they would answer the question both in context of what's going on now, but not only what's going on now, but how 
things have come to a place where now is even, you know, an option, you know, for someone like myself. So, you know, so I learned at a very, very young age, uh, you know, the wisdom of good counsel, so to speak, and how, uh, you know, coaches shorten learning curves. Um, from Jacksonville, I moved into the Central Florida area where I ran track and field for quite some time. I was uh, number one in the country in high school and went to college and ran some track there as well. Uh, and moved into doing some world traveling before I actually went to law school. So I spent about a month and a half, two months in China. It was my first time ever out of the country. Um, talk about culture shock. And I went by myself. So it wasn't something where I was a part of a group or anything to that effect. I went there. I did not know the language and I did not know what to expect. And it was a major, major culture shock. But getting that experience for what you know another side of the world considers to be normal based versus what I here in the United States feel is and think is normal based on my understanding really helped uh, kind of garner um, what my experience in law would be like, my ability to understand both sides of a position, to empathize with my clients and even be able to negotiate certain types of settlements. And so the experience before, before law school of going to China for a couple of months, and obviously I've done some, some traveling since then, um, but it's, it's really kind of helped to mold and shape who I have uh, become not only as a human being, but also as an attorney. So do you know how rare it is that somebody was actually born and still lives in Florida? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My husband and I have this fun little game that we like to play when we go out to um, eat because the majority of the folks that are working in the services industry are not from this area. And no. so we try to get where they're from. Oh. And then we'll ask them, you know, we'll just say, we're, we're not trying to stalk you or be weird or anything like that. But we have this ongoing, like, fun little game that we try to guess where, where our waiter or waitress is from. And we have found two ever that are actually from Florida. So it's <laughs> exactly. Rare. Yeah, it's, it's very few. You know, Florida is a pretty transitional state or a state where individuals come to, you know, retire and things of that nature. So there's not too many people born and raised here in the state of Florida. But I, I, I am one of the few. <laughs> and your kids are, correct? Absolutely. Yes, they were born in uh, so Tallahassee, fun. Florida. So we went, I went to Florida State and they were, they were born there. So, I mean, I, I love to hear that um, specifically, you know, going to uh, other countries. And I've, I actually interviewed somebody a couple of shows back, Chuck Donnelly's. He traveled to China with his daughter and they got to explore the area as well. And he was saying something very similar, like, what is the term of normal, you know, in our world versus the term of normal in other countries, especially what was the impression that you got during that journey uh, as a comparison to, you know, the United States and what, what, what's normal? Um, well, I mean, two things I really, really left with. One was that so much of what I had defined prior to my travels, I defined behavior and society almost in terms of right or wrong. This is what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. Right. And everything was kind of in that perspective. But then going to a place like China or going to a place like Ghana and West Africa, you know, and seeing how someone else has an entirely different set of beliefs, you know, that they, that they live by really kind of adjusted my thought processes as it related to whether I should be considering things in terms of right or wrong or not. You know, um, one of the really interesting things that took place was when I was in China, um, I happened to meet a young lady in Chengdu, um, which is in the Sichuan province, the southern part of China. And um, she spoke a little bit of English and we struck, struck up a conversation. And she was talking about how excited she was to be able to come to the United States one day, but that presently she wasn't able to afford it. And so, you know, me being you know, the idea guy that I am, I said, well, you know, you seem to speak English pretty well. Why wouldn't you just tutor some of you know, your, your fellow peers or your fellow colleagues and save some money that way and to be able to go to, you know, to the United States. And she seemed almost shocked when I made that comment. She said, I could never do that. So well, why not? Why would you? She's like, that would take, that would take uh, money and opportunity away from my government. And I said, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, what did she say? <laughs> she says, you know, in China, it's, it's government, you know, it's, it's the government and then it's family and then itself. I said, well, that's really interesting because in the United States, we can't wait to take money away from the government. We, we file our taxes and we do good. We give each other a high five. 
You know, so it's just a, <laughs> just an entirely different perspective on how we relate to one another, you know, which I thought was really, really interesting. The other thing that I really found to be amazing, and this is not just in China, but in Ghana and in Paris and, and all different places that I've been able to travel, and that's essentially how sheltered we can be here in the United States. Because when I travel outside of the United States, so many of the individuals I come in contact with know so much about us, not necessarily just our music mm. or our entertainment, but they know about our politics. You know, they know even some of the more nuanced things about styles of dress and fashion and things of that nature. And, you know, to be completely candid, I knew very little about them and what their experience was, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And they seem to know so much about me. So that was kind of a, an eye-opener as well that, you know, I need to be more of a citizen of the world versus uh, simply a citizen of the United States. We all, you know, share the same planet. <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting. Uh, well, first of all, the you know I I'm, I chuckled when you said we we try to you know we try to uh, especially around this time of year tax season we're trying to figure out how to pay our fair share but not a dollar more exactly. right in exactly. Texas and they're thinking no we we would take an opportunity away from our government mm-hmm. uh, that that made me chuckle and secondly um, I think unfortunately we are a very sheltered country um, I I personally, you know, I read a lot and I still feel like I'm a very shel- living live a very sheltered life. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know um, if it's just because we're so overwhelmed with information here in the United States that the ability to think about other countries sometimes is a bit daunting or, you know, I mean, I read the world news. I'm obviously from a, from a personal finance perspective, trying to figure out the economics about what's going on worldwide. But it's amazing some of the other things that are going on that I just, I've never even heard of. I don't even know history of some of these countries other than, you know, very high level where they know ours. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know one of your dreams, um, very similar to, to mine is to be able to travel a couple of, of uh, months out of the year and explore um, different areas of the, of the world and of the country and to give that same level of exposure to your children. Um, you know, that's, that's a driving factor from your perspective. What, what was the driving force that made you start thinking about that and, and thinking, how can I make that work? Well, I think, I think the, you know, beyond my grandparents and the elders in my family kind of pushing that idea of new experiences and challenging the status quo, it was also from an experiential place of going to a, going to a different country, spending some time there, experiencing the culture, and then coming back to the United States different than when I left. I didn't necessarily need to pick up a book. I didn't necessarily need to have a teacher. Just going to a different place and smelling things that are different and seeing how individuals behave differently and how they communicate differently was in itself its own type of education. And so I thought it would be a really excellent experience for my daughters. I have three daughters, a 12-year-old and twin 10-year-olds. And Mm -hmm. I thought it would be an amazing experience for them. You know, they can obviously take Taekwondo and they can take gymnastics and they can take piano and all of those other things that they may be able to do over summers and over on the weekends and things of that nature. But I really thought if we had an opportunity to travel and really experience the culture, not only would they get an experience of the world and look at the world in a different way, but also they would get an opportunity to see their parents in a different way. Yeah. You know, because yeah. at home, we kind of know where everything is. We know what to do. We know how to look things up. But that, that, uh, that curiosity of being in a place and not necessarily knowing how to go, the, the humility to ask for help, you know, uh, that sometimes, you know, some, at least for someone like myself, I may not do as much or as frequently here in the United States. Um, but if I'm, in, if I'm in Ghana or if I'm in Amsterdam and, and I need to get somewhere, then I need to ask somebody to be able to do that. I need to find out where the train is or how to, to navigate the bus system. And so you know, not only you know, I'm, I'm very, as a parent, I tend to like to parent from a place of example. So mm. I, I, I 
welcome my daughters being able to see me as their father, be uncomfortable, ask the questions to get the information and have the epiphany on the other side. And so travel, I think, is a major, major part of that. It doesn't necessarily have to be travel, but travel is one of those areas that kind of lends itself to that type of learning. Yeah, so that's interesting because when when I joke around with people and say I can bring everything back to the vineyard, <laughs> I really think I can. Mm-hmm. Um, when you talk about all the different influences that you're at, you're you're wanting to to expose your kids to and to you to. I mean that that is the development part. Like when when you talk about like your favorite wine is like a Merlot, but it's got more blackberry to it. Well, why is that? You know, is that is that the influence of the actual blackberries added into the wine, or was that because that particular vineyard was highly influenced by blackberries, you know, surrounding it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I always, I, I, people joke with me, like she can turn anything back to the vineyard, but I really do think that our lives are very much like that and, and get that influence. And some of the things that you saw as a kid or that you saw over in China and you brought back and you've implemented within your own life because of that, or you think about things differently because of that really does develop you as a, as a person very clearly. I can hear that in, in what you're, you're telling me for a story for your story. So let's kind of fast forward just a little bit. Um, not a lot or back up. I'm not sure how you want to say that (laughs) a little bit and talk about your area of law. So, um, you and I first uh, met, I think, you were doing an awful lot of real estate and I think you still do that, but that's not your preferred law. That's not where your passion is, is it? That's, that's correct. So, so my law firm, uh, we practice in two main areas of law. One is we help creative investors close real estate deals in the area of real estate. Um, but the other is where we help reasonable people redefine family. And that's the area where I would say, um, more of my emotional intelligence and, and some of the intangibles that don't necessarily get learned in law school, I'm really able to bring those to light and provide a value you know, to my clientele. So family law is important to me for a couple of reasons. One, obviously I have you know, ch- children of my own, but I've actually you know, been through that process, that process of you know, having to have to redefine a family and going to court and being concerned or scared if I'm going to, if, my daughters don't see me every night that they're going to know that their father loves them and all of those different types of things. And um, one of the things I wish I'd had was somebody to help me clearly define not necessarily just the part that happens in the court, but that part that happens once the attorneys and the judges go away. You know, what is the new normal that we really want to see for not only myself as a father or you know, a client as a, as a mother or father, but you know, what, what type of relationship is it that they want to have with their children? And then from, from the, that point, from understanding, uh, I, think, uh, I think it was uh, Mr. Covey with Seven Habits of Highly Effective People when he talked mm-hmm. about beginning with the end in mind. And most mm-hmm. things in family law typically end with a judgment. But the thing that's so ironic about that is that the family doesn't end just because a judge signed it order. The family still has mm-hmm. to continue long after the case is over. So really helping to define a new normal, a new way of living, a new way of establishing a relationship with the children and building a case backwards from there has really been um, extremely helpful. And, and, I, and I really think that it's uh, not only helpful to someone like myself as I'm providing value to my clients and, to, and my relationship with my daughters, um, but also in, in overall in general, you know, overall giving individuals the clarity of thought to be able to establish what they want as a new normal and then being able to navigate and find new ways of achieving that and sharing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the emotional part that goes with any kind of family situation where you would be practicing family law um, is really enormous. Um, you know, you generally don't, I, I mean, there's adoption and stuff like that, that positive, you know, things that can happen along the course of that as well. But I would have to guess that the majority of the family law practice is there's a lot of sorrow involved in that and a lot of pain and loss. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not both in that area. And I would probably say um, probate is another area where somewhere someone's passed away and assets are being separated. That can also be an extremely emotional uh, area. Yeah. 
um, where, where people's emotions are high. And it's, and it's challenging because even, you know, otherwise extremely reasonable people or intelligent people don't necessarily do or make the same types of decisions in an extremely emotional place. So being yeah. able to really empathize with that place and bring clarity to it really calms mm-hmm. down the emotions in a way where clear decisions can be made. Man, I think that's beautiful. And, you know, I think that, um, I think that somebody, when you can say, I actually know how you feel, no, truly, like not just, I'm sorry, you're, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry because, because divorce is a, a loss as much as, you know, somebody's death is a loss. And, and there's been so many studies that, you know, show that the grieving process is there. Even, even in the worst cases, it's still a grieving process. Absolutely. Um, but to be able to say, you know, that's one thing, like I do some collaborative work uh, around divorce, but I don't do, you know, like I'm not, I don't give legal advice, obviously, but I just talk about like, you know, here's the way you might want to consider splitting your assets based on your income tax uh, situation versus your income tax or based on you're going to claim the kids based on you're not going to claim the kids, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, and, and, and the emotion, the work involved in, in that situation and the emotion involved is, is really tough when I'm scheduling those meetings, when I know that that's, um, you know, what I'm working on for that day, I generally only schedule one, maybe two meetings, but they're hours, hours apart because I'm not even going through the emotion and it's very, very, very draining. And I don't mean that like it's, you know, like a negative thing. It's just that when you're sitting there and you're watching somebody go through that process and feel those emotions and you can just, you know, you just, you want to like tuck them under your, your arm and say, it, it really is going to be okay. But you never say that because it doesn't feel like it's going to be okay from, you Absolutely. know, from, Absolutely. It, yeah. it, it took quite some, some time before I really, you know, I, at, at one point in time, I, I believed that the idea of empathy was just like like something that you would say, right? Like, I understand how you feel or I can relate to those feelings and here's why type of thing. It never dawned on me until I had a mentor that kind of um, related empathy and emotions to islands, right? He said, you know, that essentially if I were going to experience empathy with someone, that, someone else, I'd have to go to that island. So if a person won the lotto and they won a million dollars, right? Sitting there and telling them I understand does not help them to feel, (laughs) it does not help them to feel like I can relate to them. You know, I would be excited with them, their emotions or my emotions, I experience it with them in that moment. No different if someone yes were to pass away. And I'm, you know, to say that I understand is not the same thing as to feel what they're feeling so that they can recognize that I'm not alone in that particular moment. And, and, giving someone the company to feel something with someone is a really helpful way to process those emotions so that we can then begin to have a discussion about the things and decisions that need to be made moving forward. That's a great way of explaining that. I've never heard that that way. And that really is a, that's relatable. Like I, you know, I can think about that. And, and even just saying to somebody that's going through something that I'm not going through just to say, I, I don't know the emotion going through wh- of what you're going through, but let me try to help you mm-hmm. um, and, and explain it in that way. That That's really unique. I might have to pull that one out of the, <laughs> the hat in the future, but that's a great way of, or even just thinking about it. Like, you know, when you're listening to somebody and you're like, I have, I have no idea like how, what you're going through feels. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't have mm-hmm. a clue. Right. Um, so how can I help you, you know, and, and think about it from that perspective. Uh, when you, when you first went to law school, was there a, did you, did you know what you wanted to do at that point in time? Or is this sort of morphed into the passion area? You no, know, I, I think it just sort of morphed. Uh, originally when I went into law school, my aspiration was more so in the area of business law. You know, I've, I've always kind of touted myself as a, as a budding investor and in, in, in increasing my financial intelligence. 
And one way I thought to do that, you know, one of the things that my grandmother used to always tell me as a child is that if you want to play a game, you have to know the rules. Well, you know, in, in, in life, the laws are essentially the rules of how we manage our money, the rules for how we navigate things in family and, and in society. And so I thought that that would be a good way to do it. And in, in, in fairness, I enjoyed that a great deal. But when it comes to, again, bringing in something that you are passionate about, bringing in some of the intangibles, you know, there are only so many things that are going to make, allow us to differentiate ourselves in the service industry if all we're doing is practicing the things that we learned in school. Everything we learned in school, somebody else learned too because they were in the same class. You know, they went to a different school that did the same thing. It's the, it's the intangibles that we bring to the table, the background that we have as human beings, our relationships, how we relate to the world. It's those things that really help us to stand out as you know, attorneys or financial planners or life coaches or whatever the, the area may be, um, because essentially, unless it's just a commodity like gas, when someone's doing business with you, they're doing business for the relationship and, and solving the problem essentially comes secondary. Yeah. Well, and I think especially when you're dealing with um, the areas that do need some compassion and do need some empathies, I think it really comes down to th- those that um, listen Right. I mean, it, you, you got to listen to what the person is saying. And, and I, I remember the other day I was in a little bit of a debate, I guess you want to say. And the person said, well, it's legal. And I said, but is it ethical? Right. You know, I mean, there's a difference between it, 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 what they were saying was absolutely legal. It was 100% legal. But I think when, when you're talking about those intangibles, and you're practicing, especially in a family law environment, it might be legal, but is it ethical is probably a question that comes up time and time and time again. And what are you trying to achieve with this action that you're trying to, to you know, to get to move forward? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I think that when you're, when you're, when you have that ability to sort of say to somebody, well, what, what is it that you would feel good happened? You know, what, what could happen that would make you feel good about this situation? Mm-hmm. And, and I realize that, you know, that's not often that you can really feel good, but at least feel better about the situation. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to that answer, um, you know, the outcome is going to be positive if you can get them what they're looking for, because it, it doesn't matter what the... It does matter what the law is at. It's not yeah, what I mean, absolutely. but it, it matters that. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely does. I, 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 um, I would it, say this in, in response to what you're saying. One, one of the things that I really, very early on in, in the part of the process when I'm getting to know my clients, we do an exercise called Be Do Have. Right? Be Do Have was something that I learned um, kind of like goal setting. But be do have is essentially who you want to be, where your values, how you want to come off there. You know, there's things that happen to you in life and you have an ability to respond. So making a decision for who it is that you want to be, you know, what are the things that you want to be in process of, those are your due doings and done, right? Those would be the relationships that you may have with your, you know, with your children or what relationship you want to have with your, your money or what, you know, whatever relationship to, to life spirituality, and the other is the have, which are the tangibles, you know, the house, the car, and those things. So oftentimes when we get into scenarios where we're trying to determine whether something is ethical or not ethical or technically legal or technically not legal, going back to who they've described as a B really helps to make that type of decision a much easier decision to make. Because oftentimes if it's right technically but not right ethically, it's usually counterintuitive to who they said or what they said previously about what their values are as a human being. You put that so much better than the way I was trying to explain it. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And I do think sitting down and and right up front saying, you know, what what is it that are your priorities helps that helps that situation by all means. Um, So now that you've, you know, you've determined, because I often ask people like, you know, tell us about your journey, tell us about your passions. Clearly you've, you've developed this passion for family law and that's, that's the direction that you want to take 
um, your practice moving forward, um, what are some of the things that you see quite often that create a need for your services, um, unfortunately? Um, yeah, I would say one of the, the biggest things that I see is the either the lack of ability or the lack of willpower to have uncomfortable conversations. And mm. so oftentimes there will be two parties that will be on opposite sides that may actually be saying something very similar to the other. But because of the, the, the messenger who's, who's making that comment, it's almost automatically filtered in a way that's perceived either to be negative or perceived to be dismissive. You know, so, so oftentimes just the willingness to, to give each other, and when I say each other, I mean you know, on both people in the, in the side, the space to say something as they see it without it being a personal attack really helps individuals to be able to see things more clearly. Um, if other, otherwise, if, if individuals had that ability to communicate effectively, um, oftentimes they may not necessarily need um, an attorney to help to navigate through that process, except for the legalities of have you considered this, have you considered that. You know, they don't necessarily, they need a guide. They don't need an advocate, if that makes any sense. Um, mm-hmm. But for those individuals who, who don't really communicate as well, not necessarily just what they want, but also what they feel or how certain things make them feel, um, that, in my opinion, is a, is a big reason why individuals need to you know, speak to someone like myself. Mm. Do you find that there's something in particular that... That is a very true statement. First of all, let me back up and and comment on that because I think um, whenever there's an uncomfortable conversation, uh, if we don't air air the conversation, then um, you know it can result in even worse animosity between each other. Just just because Um, it's not talked about does not necessarily mean that it goes away. (laughs) (laughs) And and often makes it 10 times worse if it's not talked about. Right. Um, Do you find that um, by, by being, you're sort of the intermediary, well, most of the time the intermediary on a lot of that stuff. uh, Do you coach people to try to have those conversations and they're just, at the point that they're, they, they can't do it. They just, they, they don't have the mental um, strength anymore. Cause I, I would guess that when they come to you, they're, they're sort of feeling beat up at that point in time. Yes. Yes. Very, very often. And, and I wouldn't necessarily say that I would coach them. What I do um, is I provide them the tools and kind of explain the landscape of how things are going to happen. Once the case, like what was going to happen during the case, and what's going to happen after it, right? So, you know, there are a bunch of different factors, you know, that courts look at when, they, when making determinations about time sharing or about equitable distribution and, and other things. Mm-hmm. So having, mm-hmm. the, having the knowledge you know, is obviously step one. But during the case, especially when it relates to time sharing and relates to children, kind of encouraging and challenging the client to try something in a different way, try to communicate this way, right? And having the discussion, you know, because of an email or because of a text message that they're extremely upset about. Well, could it, could they mean it this way? Could they be saying something that, you know, other than what is in black and white on that page, you know, and at least allowing them an opportunity to consider the possibility that a different perspective is in play besides the one that they have, they've been offended by. And then giving me an opportunity to practice how to respond to that in a way that still allows them to be true to who they want to be and true to the relationships that they want to have with the people around. I'm guessing that's not taught in law school. No. (laughs) (laughs) Because one of the reasons that I thought it would be so unique to interview you is that right there. I mean, that... um, there's a few attorneys that I know, probably five or six, that um, that really have that conversational relationship. Like they're giving you advice on law, and they're they're telling you, you know, don't go this far. Like this is the, 
you do not want to do this. And they're giving you advice and um, saying, you know, this, these are your legal rights. But they don't often take the time to say, do you, do you think it was this or do you think it might be this to calm the situation instead of continue to escalate the situation? Right. So um, kudos to you for choosing to adopt um, that way of practicing your profession. Uh, I think, you know, that, that will definitely um, make people, in my opinion, very, um, very much at ease, putting them at ease just a little bit, knowing that, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe person X didn't, didn't mean it this way. And, and it, it just doesn't, even if they ultimately say, well, I, I really do think that they meant it that way. And even if the person didn't mean it that way, at least there's a moment of, calmness to the situation that will right. perhaps not well, where we have an opportunity to, to decide together how we want to respond right because yeah. again yeah. we're not in control of this other individual but we are in control right. of what we do with our stuff you know and and so just so you know just to, to put it out there there's a so my mother had worked in the uh in the hospital for quite some time she was a respiratory therapist and then she went to be a, a c-level exec in the uh, panhandle area and mm-hmm. Several years ago, right, probably right at the end of my law school career, she recommended a book to me called uh, Crucial Conversations. And Crucial Mm. Conversations actually had a program, and it was something that they were doing in the hospitals to help doctors and and, uh, registered nurses nurses to essentially deliver bad news in the hospital. And so Mm. I went through one of those seminars for what, what is necessary to keep a conversation safe? When do you, what are the things to notice when a conversation is no longer becoming safe and how to, and how to keep it in that safe zone if you can continue to have an uncomfortable conversation? You know, that, those, those things were, um, again, not necessarily something that I'm in law school. And it, I didn't, I did it, you know, really just because my, my mother said that she thought it would be a good thing to do. But I hadn't, at the time, I didn't really have any expectations that it would be applicable to my law career, but, but it certainly has. So I'm sorry, it was crucial conversations. Is that what you said? Yes. Crucial conversations. Okay. Oh, we'll have to look that up and we'll, we'll post it in the show notes. And now, now it's going to have to go on my book list because (laughs) (laughs) um, sometimes it's just, it's not so much in the clients that I work with per se, although they're, you know, they're um, sometimes exposed to situations uh, that, you know, I need, I need to, be able to kind of talk them off the ledge a little bit mm-hmm. from the emotion that they're feeling, especially anger. And that would, that would be a good lesson for me to, to read through or a book for me to reference on some ideas if I'm sort of stuck. So thank you for that recommendation. So I promised that I would keep it to around 45 minutes. So I want to, I want to just shift gears just a little bit and uh, talk about you from a, a personal perspective, because okay. I think it's really unique um, when people get to listen to these podcasts. I think it's unique if they get to know just a little bit, not that you haven't shared already a, a little bit about yourself, but real deep and, and personal. Um, what what would you define or how would you define success personally? Presently, I define success as having uh, freedom of location. Right. So, you know, at, at the present moment, my highest desire is to travel and experience the world. You know, and, and then we, again, we talk about those different perspectives. And I, I, I really enjoy that. That's the thing that gets me up in the morning. That's the thing that I really, really get excited about. Um, so I'm committed to continue to work. Should that be a necessary thing? Meaning I don't necessarily have to generate passive income or reach a certain level of uh, revenue or income. Um, in order for me to define myself as successful. But to truly um, be able to uh, go to different locations and still be able to work, to work remotely, those types of things are really how I've come to define the achievement of success. Now, the, the process, and, and I've, uh, I've come to appreciate this more, that you know, once I am on the path, you know, once I have a plan and, and the ability to execute a particular plan, then I give myself permission to feel successful the whole way through, <laughs> right? So I don't necessarily just wait until I get to X, right? Because the moment I get onto this path, 
then I'm, I'm all, all I have to do is follow the steps and, I can, and I'm going to get there. And so being able to enjoy that entire process as opposed to just the achievement um, is also kind of a part of how I define success, whether I'm in the process of succeeding um, in a particular area. That's an interesting point of view. Um, you know, I've had many guests say that, that we need to stop and smell the roses for lack of a better term. Um, but I've never had somebody say that, you know, the, that they're defining success is along the way, mm-hmm. you know, that, that it's part of the process. That's a very interesting, I'll have to think on that one. That one's it's a very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's just, um, yeah. You know, I think from a, a entrepreneurial perspective, we often think success is, okay, when we get to this level of growth or we get to that level of growth and we're sort of chugging along. And I don't mean that like in a native way. I just mean we're, we're very focused. Mm-hmm. I know myself anyways, very focused on that. That's what success looks like. And we forget the fun that it is, it is to build to that level. No, that's great. I love that. I love that. Um, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I, I think um, it's really important because at least, at least for me, remember, yeah, I'm, I'm a former athlete. And so the idea of achievement is just inherent. So regardless of what my goal is, when I get there, I'm going to enjoy it for five minutes. And then I'm going to choose another one. And then I'm going to go yeah. after that one. So, so without me giving myself permission, the ability to enjoy the process, which I will always be in, I won't actually have any fun. <laughs> yeah, that is so true, though. I mean, even that comment that you just made, like my, my husband has said to me many times, he's like, so you, you did what you wanted to do. Are you done? And I'm like, no, I just I'm, I'm going to like celebrate for something and then I'm sure I'm going to think of something else. So. It's, it's very true. No, I, that's very true. It is. And, and I don't, from me and you know, I'm not so much from the athlete perspective, it's just like, you know, once I achieve something, I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do next? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like I can't just sit back and be bored. I've got to mm-hmm. do something. New. It's, it's always that next um, achievement, I guess. But it, but if, if you step back and enjoy the process along the way, it, it really, Really could be fun. No, I, I love that idea. And, and I love to know, based on some of the conversation we've had today and in the past, um, at the core, what really feeds your soul? I really just think it's, it's, it's that ability to experience different perspectives. You know, so one of the, one of the conversations that I've uh, been able to have with my daughter about perspectives was about driving down the street. Right? So you drive down the street and you see grass and you see plants and you see shrubs and you see trees. Right? And you drive down the same street and you see the same trees. And just a little bit of research, you know, about like the, uh, and this is a conversation I'm having with my daughter, about the origins of the trees and the plants mean that you get to experience that exact same road in a different way. So we did, you know, we spent an hour, hour and a half, you know, looking at the different flowers and what the origins were and what was based out of Florida and where they came from. And now you drive down the exact same street and now you see Portugal. And you see England, right? And you see, uh, you know, Zambia, Africa, you know, and, you, and all of these different things. And it's the same road. Mm-hmm. But now I get to have a totally different, a different experience because now I've, you know, with a little bit of knowledge, my perspective has changed. And one of the beautiful things also about perspective is once you get perspective, it, you, you have it. You can't, you can't undo it. <laughs> once you have it, you have it. That's great that you do that with your daughter. I love that. That is um, such sweet time together that, um, and she'll look at this. She'll have a different perspective on things. Absolutely. That's neat. That's my hope at least. Um, and, and kind of in closing, um, if there was one piece of advice that you'd like to give to listeners, um, you know, is there something that, that you just feel so compelled to make sure that you get out into the, I guess, airwaves, as we call it? <laughs> um, I think if it was one thing that I really, really want to share, it's, it's that idea of clearly, at least clearly defining whatever that thing is. So when we had a discussion about what success is, my definition of success is going to be different than yours. You know, most mm-hmm. what's, what's, what's so interesting, at least in, in my own life that I've experienced, is that um, I'm, I'm born into a society that has 
a definition for what a man is and has a definition for what American American is and has a definition for what African American is. And if I'm not careful, I will just adopt those without ever asking myself those, that question myself. And oh so, my gosh, I love that. And so what I really enjoy and what I have been enjoying is taking the time to ask myself the questions to get that clarity for what that thing would be. You know, that thing could be my relationship with my daughters, my relationship with my life. My wife could be my relationship with my certified friends. But at least taking a couple of minutes to think about what I want it to be really helps, in my opinion, to uh, to almost without even trying to order steps so that that, that, that very same thing that you want is something that, that's achievable. I just love that, that, you know, you're, you're kind of trying to cut out all of those predefined definitions yeah. and figure out what you want it to be defined. Absolutely. Boy, if that's not a, if that's not something that people can take away as a final comment, I don't, I don't know what is. Thank you so much for sharing your journey, your perspective. I had to throw that in there. <laughs> um, your perspective on things. And for that, that final tidbit to remember that we can define things, that we can eliminate the predefinition and we can define our own lives and our own beliefs and our own thought processes and, and to not get caught up in that. That's, that's a very uh, important tip that, you know, I think... Um, we often forget. We get we get wrapped up in things. So I, I love that that that's the closing advice that you give. And and I want to um, just let folks know that we're going to post some information about you in the show notes as well as some contact information about you. So that if there's ever a need, um, folks know that they can reach out to you and you know get some advice, get some assistance, and. Um, I've, I've deemed you the compassionate care attorney. <laughs> because, I appreciate it. Um, I just, I think your nature to, to truly care about the people that you're working with and, um, you know, take, take a step back and learn about their journey as well is, is what, you know, is, makes you really special. And, um, we are just so appreciative that we could take uh, 50 minutes of your time today to, to hear about you and to learn about you and, and for others to know that, that you exist out there in the world. Thank you so much, Antonio. We really do appreciate it. Well, thank you. And I'm, I'm humbled to participate. And I, was, I was very happy to, uh, to be a part of it. And, uh, and if anybody who has any questions is, is welcome to reach out to me. Thank you so much. And that will about do it for this week's episode of Wine and Dime. You can visit Amy on the web at irvineadvise.com. Or you can follow her on Twitter at Amy Irvine Advise or on her Facebook page, Irvine Wealth Planning Strategies. If you have any questions, comments, or topics that you would like to hear about, feel free to contact us through Twitter or Facebook. And we will do our best to answer your questions. We would love to hear from you. And thank you for listening.